Chapter 1 Grace The year was 1969 and my 15th Christmas on this earth. What I remember most was the cold. How bitter ice cold it was that night. My daddy Clyde pushed down hard on the gas pedal. It wouldn't give anymore, but he kept on pumping like it gave him something to do. I could feel the gasoline trying to work its way into the engine and smelled it in the air. We weren't getting there any quicker. He looked over at us, me and my sister Willie. We were headed to Rusk to visit our mother Grace. Rusk is a tiny town where the state mental hospital is located. Grace had wound up at Rusk over a mattress burning incident at the last private hospital where she had been committed in Beaumont. That and the goings on with some male patients. Rusk was the last house on the block so far as mental institutions were concerned. It was the state sanitarium where they sent the criminally insane. I was thinking that night about fissures as I watched out the car window. We had been studying about fissures in school and how cracks in the Earth's surface caused earthquakes. I didn't like East Texas. It had always felt country to me. Willie was punching the buttons on the old car radio, but each station only played Christmas music. We were all tired of hearing the same songs over and over. There was something depressing about Christmas music. Clyde reached over and covered up Willie's hand with his own rough one. He was a school teacher and made extra money building other people's houses. You don't want to hear the song, Willie? It's Christmas. You don't like listening to Rudolph? Willie rolled her eyes at him. Even though she was only 10 years old, there was something adult about Willie. Always had been. I'm tired of Christmas. Why don't they play rock and roll in the country? Clyde kind of laughed. Well, I guess because it's the country. He reached over toward the dial, and I saw the tail of his arm tattoo. He'd gotten it way back when he was in the Navy, right before I'd been born. Grace had flown back to Beaumont from San Francisco so that I'd be born a Texan. Clyde couldn't get leave, so he had Jody imprinted on his arm with a dogwood flower. He had Grace tattooed on his other arm. Her side had a red rose with a long stem and thorns. Radio static broke the sound of the running engine, and I went back to considering the science of fissures. I didn't even care much for geology, but for some reason, this night was conjuring up thoughts about these things in my head. A fissure is a narrow crack that causes separation and division. I wondered if it was some sort of sign Sometimes when things kept appearing in my thoughts, something would happen. My brain was like that. I had learned to pay attention to my own mind, almost like it was a separate entity. If I was real quiet and listened close, it would warn me sometimes. I would get a signal. I felt sad. Christmas did that to me, especially Christmas night once it started getting dark. That's when Grace would usually drop me and Willie off at the movie theater and go out drinking. As far back as I could remember, she'd been doing that. The first time was the Manchurian Candidate. It was after Clyde had left us for Wanda. I was still pretty young and always on the lookout for a new daddy. Everybody else loved Frank Sinatra in the movie, but I liked Lawrence Harvey for the job. 
As messed up as he was in the film, he seemed ripe for the picking as far as I was concerned. I saw the movie a whole bunch of times as Grace used the movie theater as a babysitter. We'd watch the movies over and over again until they shut the place down for the night. I looked over at Clyde and compared him to Lawrence Harvey. They were opposites. In real life, Lawrence Harvey was British while Clyde came from the backwoods. You enjoying your high school, Jody? he said, his eyes still on the road. Oh yeah, I guess. Felt weird to have your parent not know something simple like how you did in school. I think I registered with Lawrence Harvey's character's pain. I've discovered early what some folks take their whole lives to find out, that pretty much everybody feels pain. You have to go through it, like jumping in a water hole for the first time and learning how to swim. I identified with Raymond Shaw. We even had the same name, Ray, being my middle name. Everybody has three names in East Texas. The trip to Rusk was taking forever. It had turned from light to dark without us noticing, and now it was black outside. I'd driven this road a bunch with Clyde, both before he married Wanda and after. Wanda's mother still lived in the same town where we had all met each other. They would pick me and Willie up in Beaumont, and we'd all drive to the grandma's house. She lived way out in the country next to a deserted old auction barn deep in the East Texas Piney Woods. When we finally arrived at Rusk Hospital, I don't think any of us was prepared for what met us there, and it reflected on our faces. That old building looked like one of those big Gothic mansions I was always reading about. I'd read Mistress of Mellon at least ten times. I identified with all the young governesses in the stories I dog-eared, especially if they were crippled or ugly or had some other problem that caused people to mistreat them. I wanted to be a writer like Victoria Holt and maybe even live in one of those fancy manors with a rich man. I was already writing my own novel, Captured Bride. Rusk looked like an East Tex version of one of those Gothic estates, but more run down and haunted looking. The three of us looked at it with our mouths dropped open. Clyde drove up the long entryway so slow you could hear the shells popping under the truck tires. Usually didn't see so many seashell driveways this far inland, so they must have gotten a cheap load from the coast. Clyde parked and we sat there. He finally broke the spell a bit. Well, I guess we best get in there and see your mama. He didn't seem very enthusiastic though. Still nobody moved. Willie spoke. This place is scary looking. The bars, I said. The windows throughout had iron bars across them, and some of them were going sideways. The bars, I said. The windows throughout had iron bars across them. Some of them were even going sideways. The effect was fascinating and yet horrible at the same time. Years of moisture and dirt had ganged up in the corners and looked like the canned snow people sprayed during the holidays. The facade was a strange art deco. I knew it used to be a prison and wondered who came up with the design. In a weird way, it kind of reminded me of the Alamo, but more like an Alamo for crazy people. 
The front of the place was manned by an authoritative figure in starched white. Before we could get a chance to enter, she wielded open the big iron door. She kept one hand on it and the other hand on her hip in a fist. Her name tag was attached to the immaculately stitched pin-tuck pleating and read June Bodie, R.N. Clyde said, Merry Christmas, ma'am. He was a soft-spoken Texas country boy from Hillsboro. It made me want to laugh due to it being anything but a Merry Christmas. He went on, we're here to visit with Grace Luther. It sounded like a question. She stood there erect while she sized us up and down. Finally, she told us to follow her over to a massive brick staircase that looked like it belonged outside more than inside. We fell in like soldiers behind her and began mounting the steps up to the next level. You could hear the jangle of her big ring of keys as they swung from the band around her waist. I'd had a lifetime of first-hand experience with mental disorder. Grace had been in and out of institutions as far back as I could remember. The doctors always came up with different prognoses for her issues. Grace had tried many times to quit drinking and I'd tried to help her, but there just didn't seem to be any cure. I could write a medical essay on the withdrawal symptoms alone. She would have horrible hallucinations, both visual and oral. She'd bat out at the air with her hands and scream like something was attacking her, but there would be nothing there, just Willie and me. Each time I'd read Jane Eyre, I'd seen Bertha as the hindrance to Jane's happiness. I would always be glad when she burned up in the fire at the end. They made insanity more easy to understand in books than in real life. Deranged people were always the bad guys in the stories. Grace wasn't the only crazy person in my family. There was a lot of whispering about Grace's grandfather who died in the state home for the severely insane. He had earned three college degrees and had never worked an honest day in his life. I didn't know much because my grandmother, Babe, his daughter, refused to allow his name to be spoken out loud. Grace's mental illness was dark and animated. When she'd go off into one of her spells, you felt trapped in there with her, in a real-life cage of terror. I loved her. She was my mother and what I knew. Crazy had become to seem normal to me. It took walking into a place like Rusk to realize how extreme our life really was. When we reached the first landing, we saw a few of the inmates seated in a community area. They didn't look up or seem to notice us at all. The ladies were disheveled and wearing green hospital gowns that clashed with the government issue wall paint, also green. Everything was painted in various shades of light greens, even the old radiators that failed to warm the whole place. All they did was clang and sweat big drops of water. It was enough to make you hate green. Y'all sat down over there while I retrieved Ms. Luther. Nurse Bodie pointed toward the women and waited until we began heading over to the seating area. The three of us squeezed beside a woman whose black hair went out every which way. The couch looked like it started out as a pink, but over time had turned something closer to brown. It was covered in a frieze cloth that was uncomfortable next to the skin. Old and beat up as it was, 
The material was still scratchy. The silence of the room was paralyzing. The only sound you could hear was the patient's breath. Willie leaned over at me to Clyde. Thank you for bringing us, Daddy. He stretched his arm the length of the sofa over our shoulders and looked up at the water-stained ceiling. There were tons of big brown moisture stains, and I didn't think they were caused by rain. Clyde was always good at knowing when to stay quiet. Somebody had drawn bodies on the wall behind the couch. The faces had no eyes. I thought it best not to say anything. The black-haired woman suddenly jumped up and marched over to a patient seated in the center of the room. She grabbed the lady's seat from behind and shouted out, You're sitting in my father's chair. The way she trilled her R's reminded me of Yvonne de Carlo. Not the Munster's Lily, but more of a dark European type of character. She then turned and glared right at us. There was dried blood on her mouth. I'd read Sylvia Plath's book, The Bell Jar, about a young girl's experience with mental institutions in the 50s. I'd also read a biography about Sylvia's life. A friend talked about visiting Plath at her Primrose Hill home and being awestruck by how unkempt she was. She had let her hair grow long and had quit brushing it. She had ceased grooming herself and the visitor had been overwhelmed by the thick and musky odors, like those of a forest animal. When I'd read that, it reminded me of Grace. Grace had a lot of similarities to Sylvia Plath, and there was a tragic sadness about them both. We looked up to see Nurse Bodie maneuvering a wild-eyed Grace down the stairs. She prodded her along like they do livestock. She stopped short and shot us the eye. Clyde stood up and I followed suit. Willie broke and ran over to Grace. She grabbed her with both her arms and hugged her tight like children do. Willie buried her face in Grace's stomach and said, Mommy. Grace was functional, but you could tell she was medicated. I knew from experience. Nurse Bodie cut in, her voice saccharine. There now, dear. She touched Grace's long blonde hair a little too intimately. I got the feeling she assumed the wards and rusk were her own personal property. It seemed more than just a nurse and her patients. Grace has been a good girl, hasn't she? Nurse Bodie kept feeling Grace's hair, scrunching it into a curl. For some reason, this provoked me. I caught the look out of Grace's eyes. It was terror. I said, hasn't she? Nurse Bodie's sweet voice was hard and sing-songy. Grace's voice caught in her throat. She moved her mouth, but nothing came out. Nurse Bodie spoke to Clyde, ignoring Willie and myself. We haven't had to use the water on her in almost a week, she turned back to Grace. Haven't we, dear? She used the word dear to instill a fear in Grace, and I could tell it did the trick. It scared the pants off me, and I could tell Willie and Clyde were cowed by her as well. Grace uttered, yes. Nurse Bodie's eyes were focused on Grace like a vulture. Yes, what, dear? Grace was trembling. Yes, Mother Bodie. 
With that, Nurse Bodie flashed a horrible smile, one that was thoroughly devoid of any joy. It was a picture I knew I'd have a hard time forgetting. That's right, Grace will be a good girl. She nodded up and down. No more dirty thoughts, right, dear? Grace went white. No, ma'am. No, ma'am, Mother Bodie. I wondered, as I often do about people, what caused Nurse Bodie to go into nursing as a career? And on top of that, to work at the state hospital for the insane. That had to be a depressing job. Didn't she have a family to celebrate the holidays with? What a way to make a living, I thought. Nurse Bodie turned toward Clyde. You may take Grace for a walk along the grounds if you like. She tightened her tangy red lips, her mouth framed by hundreds of smoker's wrinkles. Have her back by seven. She held up her gold plate bulova and pointed to the face, her fingernail the same shade as her lipstick. You could tell she was proud of the watch and enjoyed any opportunity to show it off. and enjoyed any opportunity to show it off. It had a duchess wristband and tiny diamonds, or what appeared to be diamonds. Sharp, she tapped hard on the crystal. Willie was still holding onto Grace's middle. Merry Christmas, Mommy. I stood there between Clyde and Willie, not knowing what to say. I finally reached over and touched Grace on her arm, but careful as though she might break. The air outside was heavy and wet a sure sign of an East Texas winter. The huge shadow of the old haunted-looking institution dogged our every step as a morbid reminder not to stray too far. Grace grabbed my arm hard enough to leave a bruise. You have to get me out of here. Her eyes were wide open with fright. Clyde didn't seem to have heard her. Are they treating you okay? He spoke to her in his soft Texas drawl. Grace had tears in her eyes, and there was white stuff around her mouth. We all kept shuffling ahead, one foot, then the other. When Grace didn't answer, he went on, That's okay, you don't have to say nothing. The only sound was that of our footsteps along the ground. Willie held on to Grace's hand. The sound of my own voice pierced the mood. Daddy? What, Jody? We can't let her go back in there. I looked at him serious. He stopped walking. She has to go back, Jody. She'll be getting out soon enough. Uh-uh. No, sir, I held my ground. What you're talking about is breaking the law. And what would we do with her anyways? I have to think about Wanda and the kids. I could tell he was sorry he said it the minute it came out of his mouth. I realize you've got Wanda and the kids. I said it sarcastic like I could. I knew it hurt him when I would bring up Wanda and their family, but tonight I didn't care. The words did the trick, and I saw the pain on Clyde's face. I kept on with it. I have my Christmas money I got, and we can put her on the bus to Beaumont. Please, she can't go back inside that place. Willie jumped in too. Please, Daddy, please, don't make her go back in there. Clyde looked long and hard at Willie. He was probably remembering how everybody had dropped the ball when Willie had been born, him included. He opened up his mouth as if to say something, 
then thought better and closed his lips back together. He turned and looked back at Rusk Hospital looming behind us. We all did. Everybody stayed quiet. He finally shook his head and looked down at the ground. He pulled out a bent-up pack of Winston's and put one of them in his mouth. Oh, Lord. He fumbled in his pocket and whipped out his old Zippo lighter. He flicked it open with an easy snap and lit up the cigarette. The sharp smell of lighter fluid broke the still air, and you could hear the dry crackle of tobacco as he took a long, hard draw off of it. I thought about the people on TV who rode around in convertibles, smoking and laughing. He looked down at his watch and flicked the cigarette, even though there was no ash. He stared past us at the two-lane road we'd come in on. Well, come on. We just got 45 minutes before they call out the law and God knows who else on us. Euphoria is the word for what I felt right then. My whole body felt like it could burst open with a deep-rooted feeling of ecstasy. It was the same feeling I'd get when a movie ended perfectly. I guess it was hope. The four of us squeezed in the front seat of Clyde's old Ford pickup as he revved up the engine. He only had to pump the gas twice and it made a welcome sound, that motor, like something true. For the first time in a long time, I felt almost safe, almost happy. R Willie put her head on Grace's shoulder and I could smell the child smell off her long hair. Grace stared straight ahead like a large, still doll. As we pulled out onto the road, the dark got even darker. Tall pine trees loomed up high on both sides of the highway as we drove deep into the big thicket, those old East Texas woods that held on to so many secrets. Strange flowers and orchids grew there that you couldn't find anywhere else on earth. People had spotted black panthers prowling around in those woods. I'd always look when we drove through, but I'd never seen one myself. It was a place where people had disappeared. I, I felt giggly. Willie and I had shut down the Galen Theater every night when Bonnie and Clyde played there. That's what I thought about that Christmas night, like we were all running from the law, like the barrel gang. I guess Clyde had seen it too, because he said right out of nowhere, whatever you do, don't sell that cow. I burst out laughing like Bonnie and Clyde had in the movie, and it felt good. Clyde was as good-looking as Warren Beatty. I had an old black-and-white picture of him in his Navy uniform. He was wearing his white Dixie Cup hat he had squared off and that big smile of his. I could see why Grace had fallen in love with him. She had torn the picture up, but I'd saved it away in my secret things. Maybe that kind of love is what drove Grace so crazy. They had been a violently passionate couple and I was born heiress to it. I looked over at Clyde driving, his strong hands on the steering wheel. Everybody said I looked just like him. They always said that's Clyde's girl. At least they used to. I loved him and had always been closer to him than I was to Grace. And I had never loved him more than I did this night when he gave us this best ever Christmas present, busting Grace out of Rusk. He looked over at Grace, and I wondered if he still had feelings for her. I knew she still loved him, 
She'd be drinking and playing her old Patsy Cline and Skeeter Davis records over and over, always crying. Seemed like every one of those old 45s told the same sad stories. I always knew she was crying over Clyde. Him leaving us for Wanda had cut us all pretty deep, but I think it hurt Grace the most. I didn't understand why adults did the things they did. I wondered if he ever regretted leaving her. We drove along the edge of the Davy Crockett National Forest. I love the smell of the pine trees. Always have. Looking out at the velvet evergreen blanket, I wondered how they knew where to draw the boundary line. Where did the piney woods stop and where did regular civilization begin? Whose job was it to try and figure out how to organize nature? We stopped outside Alto at a little gas station. It looked like that place where Gummer worked on Andy Griffith. There was a Coke machine outside, the old kind, where you had to reach in and pull the bottle out of the ice. It was good and dark now, and a couple of Negro people were, sat on the bench waiting. There was a big trailways bus, red and gold, running with the door open. The driver's seat was empty. Playing Bonnie and Clyde had worn off, and I was starting to feel a little nervous. I could tell Clyde was, too. There weren't any sheriff's cars, so that was a relief. Clyde parked and turned off the ignition while Willie looked out the window. Grace said, where are we? Clyde patted her knee like he would a child. Honey, we're going to put you on that trailways to Beaumont. He said it matter of fact like breaking his ex-wife out of the state home for the mentally deranged was an everyday affair. Y'all sit tight, I'll be right back. He looked back through the car window and added, Don't talk to nobody. I wanted to laugh. Who would we talk to? Grace had a way about her that would break your heart. She looked at Clyde and said the words, Thank you, but only her lips moved. No sound came out, and it hurt to watch her. The bus driver came out carrying a peach knee-high and a half-eaten yellow moon pie. Clyde followed behind a couple minutes later and opened up the truck door. Come on, girls, let's get your mama on that bus. I went to help Grace out of the truck. The wild animal smell was overpowering. Her long blonde hair was dirty and it looked like she hadn't been bathed since they took her to Rusk. I put my sweater around her and was glad we had saved her out of the hospital. Clyde wrapped his red plaid Big Mac jacket around her and helped her into it. Between my sweater and the jacket, she looked odd but warm. Her bare legs were pale as the moon. The outfit clashed and so did we. Willie held on to the ticket like it was an important job. Clyde took Grace's chin in his hand and spoke. I called Patsy and she's gonna meet you in Beaumont at the station. I was glad he had done that since we hadn't thought that far ahead. Patsy was Grace's old friend from high school. Grace nodded at him and I could tell she was trying not to cry anymore. We edged over toward the bus and waited while the black family had their tickets stamped. The driver looked at Grace but didn't say anything. His nameplate read Don and Driver. He punched Grace's ticket and said, one way to Houston, drop off in Beaumont. Willie and I watched Clyde guide Grace to a seat near the back of the coach. 
I guess those buses ran every day, even on holidays. Grace looked outside at us, and for the first time, she smiled. I hoped she'd be okay, but sometimes you need to turn things loose. The bus filled the air with sour-smelling exhaust fumes as it pulled out onto Highway 69, carrying our mother on the night of our dear Savior's birth.